Hello, and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. We are privileged to be able to bring to you a selection of talks that took place at the 1888-2016 gathering held at the White Hart Pub at One Mile End in the East End of London over the weekend of the 5th and 6th of November 2016. First up is historian and researcher Joanne Viger-Mungovan presenting on Joseph Merrick in a talk entitled, Probably the Most Remarkable Human Being Ever to Draw the Breath of Life. Joanne's new book, Joseph, The Lifetimes and Places of the Elephant Man, is out now via Mango Books, and as you'll hear in the following talk, it is absolutely full of brand new information about Mr. Merrick, his family, and their lives in the city of Leicester. During the presentation, you'll notice Joanne referencing photographs from her slideshow, which we do not presently have a copy of to share with you, but are for the most part available in her book, making one more reason that I encourage you to purchase a copy. Now let's turn it over to 1888-2016 and Joanne Viger mungovan so, Anyway, the, the case of the elephant man is one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of medicine. What was the terrible curse that changed Joseph Merrick into history's most horribly deformed man? And so how did he keep his sanity when the disease ravished his body? And could somebody else suffer the same fate? These are the bones of the elephant man, or Joseph Merrick. He died 126 years ago and suffered a terrible disfigurement, and his moving story has passed into legend. There is little evidence to actually tell us what Joseph Merrick was actually really like, where he came from, and who he was. Joseph's story begins in 19th century Leicester, an industrial town thriving during the Industrial Revolution landscape with factories, shoe manufacturers, hosiery and engineering firms, with lines of back-to-back houses, little courtyards, all entwined with each other. He's in a way out of view by the rich merchants, the builders and the solicitors that line the leafy streets that build our great town. At the back of the rows, the working class gathered daily. Working class people gathered daily in many of the towns and taverns and music halls. Now this picture here is on the corner of Lee Street and Alfred Street. Now Alfred Street isn't there anymore and only one little part of Lee Street is actually left. And it was actually 50 Lee Street where Joseph Merritt was born. And this is probably one of the only images I've actually come across of Lee Street. There aren't many around. There's like a little Lee Street house in the corner. But that one's may have been where Josie's father may have drank after a hard day's graft. Josie's father, Joseph Rockley Merrick, was a warehouseman when he married the young Mary Jane Potterton at this church here in St Michael's and All Angels Anglican Church in the little village of Thurmston in December 1861. Now Mary Jane, looking at the dates of when they were married and when Joseph was born, was possibly already eight weeks pregnant. Maybe not too much as a surprise as the Merrick brothers, as in Joseph's father and his uncle Charles Barnabas, seem to like pre-marital activities. His uncle Charles Barnabas actually got his wife, Jane Bosworth, pregnant before they were actually married. So she actually gave birth to Joseph's first cousin before, she, before they actually married. 
Now, if Mary Jane was a bit curious whether she was pregnant or not, she could have took this, a dandelion test. Obviously, there was no boots. The chemist back in 1861. Basically, this test, you took a bowl of dandelion leaves, exposed them to sunlight, peed on them, and if you actually got red blisters on the leaves, you were pregnant. If you didn't, obviously, you weren't. But quite frankly, eight, eight weeks, she probably didn't even realise. Before Mary... Oops, Before Mary Jane actually married, she lived here as a servant at Jack's Tallow and Soap Makers on Count Street in Leicester. And this is probably the only building that still survives today that is actually connected with the Merricks. Obviously, Leicester, <coughs> during the Victorian Revolution and later on after the war, knocked down a lot of its slums and a lot of its buildings. So there isn't actually much left. But this is the actual building where she worked and lived. And next door was the actual manufacturers that you can't really see, was where she worked. <coughs> right, it was actually here where Josie's story actually begins. Now, this is Humberston Gate in Leicester at the annual May Fair, where it's, it's actually said that Mer Joseph Merrick's mother was scared by an elephant or fell under the feet, which actually caused his condition. <coughs> Now this, is, this story has actually passed through Chinese whispers during the past few years, but Joseph actually wrote in his biography, my mother was going along the street when a procession of animals were passing by. There was a terrible crush of people to see them, and unfortunately she was pushed under the elephant's feet, which frightened her very much. Now Joseph also believed that his mother believed in maternal impression which is a long discredited medical theory which explained the existence of birth defects, congenital disorders, and the theory stated that an emotional stimulus experienced by the mother could influence the development of the fetus. Now, maternal impression has actually proved not to exist, and also there is no record whatsoever of the womb of the menagerie or any other animal circus attending the Mayfair of 1862. So, what did actually cause Joseph's afflictions? Was there a rogue gene, or was there something else lurking in the family history that has yet to make an appearance? Excuse me. At this point, before the Merricks were married, the Merrick family were all stable and healthy. All the Merrick boys, as in Joseph's father, Joseph Rockley, his uncle Charles Barnabas and his uncle Henry were healthy and young. They had good jobs, produced children and lived in good conditions, not in the slums of Leicester, as some have actually said. Now, his uncle Charles Barnabas did actually lose children in infancy, but this was expected and not uncommon in Victorian England. Diseases such as tuberculosis, cholera, scarlet fever and smallpox made, made a regular appearance. His uncle Henry joined the army. He married three times and enjoyed the company of younger, children, younger women. The only no notable story I can actually find of the Merricks is their father dying in the workhouse, but it wasn't a resident. They, he actually died in the cottage homes in the grounds. Now, as most of you probably know, Joseph Rockley Merrick fathered three children. Joseph Carey Merrick was healthy at birth, 
he developed, and developed his disfigurement at approximately five years of age. He had a younger brother, William, who died age four of scarlet fever. And he also had a little sister, Marion, who died one year after Joseph in 1891. Now, it's not actually recorded the type of disability Marion suffered from. The census records recorded her as a cripple and a death certificate states deformed from birth. Her cause of death was actually mellitus convulsions, which are spinal cord seizures, and are actually well documented in people affected with multiple sclerosis. The seizure is a tonic-chronic spasm of the extremities and is accompanied by painful dysesthesia. The patient can be conscious throughout and can last between 30 and 60 seconds. It's treated nowadays by carbamazepine or diazepam. But back then, in 1891, Marion Eliza Merrick died only 24 years of age at her family home in Justice Street. Now, misfortune played all sorts of families, yet some are magnets. Generation after generation are played with tragedy as if bloodlines are cursed. Now, we don't know, but we are wondering if there was an actual story passed down throughout the family Potterton line of a curse, a deformed child or a deadly illness, and is that why many of the Potterton girls are childless or actually spinsters? Now, Mary Jane Potterton, Joseph's mother, had three sisters. There was Sarah Jane, who worked as a servant, and as far as I know, never had children and died a spinster. Her other sister, Elizabeth, died aged 39 of a stroke, and she married her cousin, John Potterton. They lived here on Herrick Lane, now Humberston Lane, in Thurmston, and they also had no children. Her third sister, Eliza, died aged 76 and married Henry Hewitt, who was a member of the pipe organ makers, organ makers in London. Now, 11 of his pipe organs can still be seen and heard in Leicester and all over the country. This one here is in the Isle of Man. Now, Eliza and Henry had three children, two girls and a boy. The two girls, Harriet and Eliza, all died spinsters and childless. She also had three brothers. Thomas died aged 56 of cancer of the spleen. He married and had no children. They lived here on Conduit Street in Leicester, near to his sister Eliza, who lived on Glebe Street. Some of you who know Leicester or came on our walk in April this is Conduit Street, where we walked up near London Road Station. Obviously, it's completely changed. You've got homeless shelters, car parks, and mosques. But right at the top of Conduit Street is what they called the House on the Hill, which was the workhouse where Joseph was admitted in 1879. One of Mary, one of Mary Jane's other brothers, John, had two daughters. Mary, he had Eliza, who died a spinster, here at Leicester Frith Homes, the mentally defective. Now, mentally defective is quite a broad term. I actually worked in this hospital in the 1980s as an auxiliary nurse, and we had quite a few patients ranging from the ages of 60 to 70 that had all been admitted when they were children. 
Now, some had been admitted because they were slow, and some had been admitted because they'd run away from home. So it's not exactly known why Eliza was admitted there, but she did die a spinster and childless. His uncle John had another daughter called Edith, who also died a spinster. And they lived on Haddon Street in the Highfields area of Leicester, which was quite a prosperous area near to his, sister, near to his brother Thomas and his sister Eliza. This is the unmarked grave of the Potterton family, uh, John Potterton and his children and wife. A bit further to the right is his brother Thomas, and beyond the trees looking back is where Mary Jane Merrick is buried with her little son William. Mary Jane had one more brother called George. Now George had already witnessed his father's suicide. He had a son who was paralysed from birth and died in the Leicester Asylum. And all four of his daughters died spinsters and childless. And George himself died at the Leicester Asylum. Now, he did have one son, Lenny, who seemed to pass on the Potterton genes. And I was privileged enough back, back in August to meet his granddaughter, Pat Selby, who actually still lives in Leicester. She's Joseph's second cousin, and she's 91 years old. And she actually reports that all her family are healthy, intelligent and have no problems whatsoever. Now this photo <coughs> I'm about to show you of the, is of Eliza Potterton. No other pictures of the Pottertons have ever been published. Eliza is Joseph's first cousin and it's a good picture because it just shows half her face and you can just see half of the face of Joseph that isn't deformed. And I believe it's quite a resemblance and probably the closest image you'll ever get to Josie's mother, Mary Jane Potterton. If you just look at her, the shape of her face and eyes, he really seems to have got the Potterton genes. But they're probably the only surviving photographs of the Potterton family, or there's a few more in the book. But that is the one that I wanted to show. So maybe it was the lack of the maternal line that ended the Potterton curse. Now, Joseph Merrick was born on the 5th of, August, 5th of August, 1862. Childbirth was pretty dangerous in the Victorian era. Many of the women died, died in childbirth or gave birth to stillborn children. But Joseph was born here on 50 Lee Street in Leicester, although there's absolutely hardly anything left of it now. At the bottom, you've got what they call now Lower Lee Street, which is a tiny little road which now has been built up with student flats. Lee Street was actually knocked down before the Second World War, and you have GI army stations. But later on in the 1960s, we built a multi-storey car park over where Joseph was born at 50 Lee Street. And as it slowly veered to the left, it ended on Wharf Street, immediately opposite the Gaty Theatre, where it's presumed Joseph first displayed himself. According to Joseph's own autobiography, his deformities were not known until he was five years old. And unless his facial features were significantly deformed, he probably didn't stand out at all in Victorian Leicester. Ricketts was rife in Victorian England, and with a deformed hip and walking with a stick after a supposed fall, 
he probably looked like prettier than other normal children in and around that area. But on the 29th of May, 1863, another tragedy hit the, hit the Merrick family. His mother, Mary Jane Merrick, died of bronchial pneumonia. Now this is the, the burial plot of Mary Jane Poston Merrick, who's buried there with her son, uh, William Merrick. Unfortunately, it's, it is the other way around. Sorry, just a photograph. The first, the first person buried in that plot is William Merrick, which was Joseph's younger brother, followed by his mother, Mary Jane, in a common grave in Welford Road Cemetery in Leicester. The headstone is actually for Elizabeth Potterton, Mary Jane's sister, Elizabeth Potterton, Mary Jane's sister, which has been followed by John Potterton, her husband, and then Anne Potterton, his, his third wife. Now, John Potterton was Mary Jane and Elizabeth's second cousin, once removed on her paternal side. Anne Potterton, who is John Potterton's third wife, was actually Mary Jane and Elizabeth Potterton's first cousin on their maternal side. So it basically is a Potterton family grave. But the only inscription is for John, Elizabeth and Anne. This here is the memorial stone laid down by the friends of Joseph Carey Merrick. It states that Mary Jane was born on the 20th of November 1836 and died on the 19th of May 1873. Mary Jane actually died on the 29th of May 1873. And it also states here that she's the loving mother of Joseph Carey Merrick, also John, William and Marion. The unfortunate thing is, during my research, I actually found that John is not the child of Mary J. Merrick and Joseph Rockley Merrick. Little John Merrick was actually the illegitimate child of a J. Merrick who was 16 years old, and he did actually die at three months of smallpox. He is buried in Welford Road Cemetery, but he's buried across the other side of the cemetery in an unmarked common grave. 18 months later, after, after Mary J. Merrick died, Joseph Rockley Merrick married Emma, J. Emma Wood Antill. She brought with her two children to the marriage, and obviously Joseph Rockley brought with him two children, unfortunately two crippled. Money was short, the two older children may have attended school. This is Sison Street Board School, which opened in 1874. The recommended age at a board school to leave school was at 13. So that's when Joseph probably left after six months of attending this school to bring in the money. Now at this stage, Joseph's father was the most important wage earner. He was the head of the household and had the best of the food and of course the larger portions. Joseph's first job was, a, was at Freeman's Cigar Makers Factory in Leicester. There were actually two Freeman's Cigar Factories in Leicester, one in Churchgate near to where Joseph's uncle Charles was, um, lived, and also one not too far from where the family were living at their haberdashery shop on Russell Square. So it's probably safe to assume that Joseph actually worked at the one on Lower Lee Street near to where they were living. 
His job lasted here for two years, but because of his deformed hand was getting worse, he left and his father got him a hawker's license to hawk what I assume is the haberdashery from his father's local shop. If Joseph didn't make his sales or didn't earn enough money, he reported in his autobiography he got a thrashing from his mother-in-law, from his mother, from his stepmother, which distorted him very much. But whipping was actually one of the most common forms of discipline in Victorian England. Victorians certainly believed in spare the rod and spoil the child. But they actually did this out of love and not to, and to instill moral standards and good behaviour. It obviously seems like abuse nowadays, but it certainly wasn't back then. But unfortunately, the abuse got too much for Joseph Merrick, and he ran away from home and went to live with his uncle Charles at 144 Churchgate at his hairdresser's shop. Maybe still hawking, it isn't actually recorded. But after two years living with his uncle and his father and his uncle having a growing family, Joseph admitted himself into the Leicester Union Workhouse on the 29th of December, 1879, aged only 17 years old. Now the workhouse in Leicester doesn't exist anymore, but if you can see by the picture behind some of the nurses, the two pillars still exist. The gate on the right-hand side also still exists, and so does the actual wall, but now it's an actual community college, and there's nothing actually there apart from the boundary. So we've got to try and think of why Joseph Merrick now is such a memorable character. He was, after all, a typical fairground freak, the same as many others. But from Joseph's humble beginnings in Leicester, the workhouse, exhibiting himself at local penny shows, Joseph, with the help of Dr. Frederick Trees, seemed to have climbed the social ladder, but at what price? According to Tom Norman, the showman who exhibited him on Whitechapel Road, he believed Joseph wished to be free and independent. At the hospital, Joseph felt like a prisoner living on charity and conscious of the indignity of having to appear undressed before a never-ending stream of doctors, surgeons and Dr. Treater's friends. But I don't think Joseph had any choice. After arriving from his trip to the continent, he had little or no money. Tom Norman had left the Whitechapel Road and Joseph didn't know where he was. I don't think Joseph could have actually gone back to Leicester. His uncle Charles had a growing family and his father didn't want him all those years ago and probably didn't want him now. So reaching 123 Whitechapel Road, Joseph found no Tom. So maybe this was the moment Joseph found Dr. Treat's card in his pocket and traded in his freedom for free board and lodgings and Joseph agreed to exhibit himself once more. An experiment maybe on Dr. Treves' part, could a low-class fairground freak climb the social ladder and be accepted by the High Society of London? Maybe it was a small price to pay. His legacy still lives on in a film, books and plays. His illness has never been completely understood from a diagnosis of elephantitis 
leprosy to neurofibromatosis and a modern-day Pochis syndrome. But until his DNA can be fully tested, Joseph still remains a medical mystery and still ignites passion after surviving against the art and odds and is an inspiration to the less able-bodied people around the globe. Joseph lived out his days in relative comfort, experiencing the theatre, holidays to country states and enjoying the company of the high society. And it all started with a little letter to, Tom, Tom, to Sam Tor of the Gaiety Palace of Varieties in Leicester and a little letter to secure his freedom and better himself. So, in the words of Tom Norman, my cousin, Joseph Merrick was the greatest man ever to draw the breath of life. That's it. was Joanne Viger Mungovan on Joseph Merrick presenting information from her new book Joseph The Lifetimes and Places of the Elephant Man which is out now via Mango Books I would like to thank Joanne for allowing Rippercast to release her talk at the 1888-2016 gathering and also give a huge thank you to Mark Ripper Jackie Murphy and Robert Anderson for making this event and the recordings of it all possible we are a podcast sponsored and hosted by the website casebook.org, where you will find over 100 roundtable discussions, author interviews, and conference presentations on Jack the Ripper in Victorian and Edwardian true crime. If you have any questions or comments about our programs, feel free to find us on Facebook or Twitter simply by searching for RipperCast. I would like to thank everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>